Hello, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Endurance Minded. It's the podcast that looks at the psychological and emotional components of endurance sports and how they impact performance. I'm your host, Taylor Thomas, founder and coach at TEC. And on this episode, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Christine Hernandez. Uh, Christine is the CEO of Bold Leader Collective, where she specializes in helping individuals live a life of purpose by empowering them to connect with what they were born to do. Uh, she is also uh, the survivor of a terminal brain condition. Um, and so we talk about that. Uh, and as you can imagine, how that impacts how she uh, approaches her life, the decisions she's made, uh, the goals she set for herself, and how she chooses to live out um, all uh, each of her days. Um, this one is, uh, is packed to the gills. Uh, I can't express enough how much I encourage you to, uh, to listen to it uh, front to back. Um, we <clears throat> dive into uh, tons of different topics. Christine has such a vibrant and impactful story to tell. Uh, she is so um, gifted, so smart, intelligent, insightful. Um, the accolades uh, and adjectives go on and on. So please take a second uh, to sit down with this one uh, and digest uh, all of Christine's um, tremendous uh, guidance and insight. A few of the things we touch on um, is... Uh, this idea of hiding behind exercise. You know, do we use it as a coping mechanism or does it come from a place of positivity and value? Um, the idea of checking out versus checking in. Um, when do we need to lean into um, and and sit with uh, our goals, our mindset, our decision um, versus, uh, versus checking out? Um, so a real dichotomy there that uh, Christine uh, and I explore in greater de- detail. Um, Christine talks about that uh, maybe the idea of finding flow versus finding balance uh, is a realistic goal and how balance uh, is, uh, is not really, uh, maybe it's not the goal, uh, maybe it's not even obtainable, but if we can find flow, we can find a rhythm that works with our lives. Um, and uh, we talk about failure versus success, defining that, leaning into it. Um, we talk about uh, this idea of uh, being proud versus being prideful. Um, that was uh, something that really hit home for me, and uh, I was um, really, really uh, excited and impressed to, uh, to dive into that uh, further. So, again, uh, tons of information, and uh, sit down and enjoy this podcast. Uh, as always, uh, thomasendurancecoaching.com for everything that we talk about on the show, for more resources, tools, guidance to speak with a coach. We would love to be there in any way to support your goals. And as always, uh, thanks for rating, subscribing, sharing. Please keep it coming. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Christine Hernandez. Before we get started with this week's episode, I'm so excited to announce that we're welcoming Inside Tracker as our first official sponsor to the podcast. As I've talked about at length on the show, my passion is helping other individuals discover the tools, resources, and relationships they need to reach their full potential. It's about more than just getting fit or being in shape for one race. It's about realizing the value in the lifetime pursuit of dedicating yourself to become the best version of you that you can be. So when you do what you love, whether it's running, riding your bike, racing, or just enjoying the great outdoors, you want to do it for life. That's where Inside Tracker can help. 
As a lifelong athlete who's done everything under the sun, I've gotten blood work done many, many times over the years, and it's always provided critical information. Even when I was feeling great and training hard, my blood work has uncovered critical deficits such as low vitamin D and elevated iron. So despite how your training is going or how you're feeling, Inside Tracker helps to uncover specific, individual, and actionable insights that allow you to not only perform better, but feel better and be healthier. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside of you and to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Then, Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way, towards reaching your performance goals and living a longer, healthier life. So for a limited time, endurance-minded listeners can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just visit info.insidetracker.com slash endurance-minded and enter your name at the bottom of the page to take advantage of your 25% discount. Being an athlete is about more than just completing the right workouts. So visit info.insidetracker.com slash endurance-minded today to start taking a proactive approach to understanding what your body needs to perform better and live longer. Hey, Christine. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm super excited to talk. You're you're bringing a uh, you're bringing a lot of different experiences and backgrounds to 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 the table, and and uh, a lot of stuff that I think is going to be uh, applicable to uh, some of the the questions and and things we think about here on endurance minded. So um, I don't know. We were just talking uh, off. Uh, uh, offline or off air, but, uh, you had a, a interesting, um, experience yesterday when you were, when you were working out, <laughs> that sounds like something we should, uh, we should talk about. Cause I think that's, uh, that's, that's something that a lot of people can maybe not relate to exactly, but, um, yeah, tell us about what happened to the gym. Yeah. So, um, a couple of years ago, I actually had a, I was an athlete and then I had a terminal brain condition, pop up and my whole life changed. So now working out, I have to be pretty intentional with how I listen to my body and how hard I push myself. Um, but I was, I was kind of in like an interesting mindset yesterday. I was like, had a bunch of stuff come up within the business and, you know, just like processing urine stuff. And a lot of times I will kind of like take that to my workout, right? Like, I think it's easy when we get in a place of stress to kind of release through the workout. So I was like, in it listening to kind of like some like, you know, music that maybe I typically wouldn't um, like, I wouldn't say it was like rock, but just a little bit like heavier music. And I would just like got lost, started pushing myself. And I looked down and my heart rate was like just over 200. And I'm like, dang it. I like I knew then that I probably pushed it too hard. And I have a high heart rate anyways. But I was like, oof, I like, I almost knew at that moment, or it like got in my mind that it was, I was going to pay for it later. So I don't know if it was the mindset of like the oh crap moment, or I just like kept going, pushed myself. I felt fine until like halfway through my day. And then I looked, uh, went and looked later because I was getting a migraine. And I sure enough, like I had broken a blood vessel in my neck, which happens sometimes when I push myself that hard just because I have a lot of strain on my neck area and some of those, those muscles and nerves. 
And so I ended up in the ER last night because I just couldn't get rid of the migraine. And it was most likely because I had pushed myself. It could be from the stress that I was kind of working out through. But I think a lot of times we just disconnect from our bodies and like release that stress and workouts, right? Like it's easy to kind of get lost if, if you love to work out like I do um, and you're an athlete and you love that time. I think it's easy to get lost in that and push ourselves, kind of disconnect from ourselves and push ourselves a little bit too hard. Right. <clears throat> Do you, like, it sounds like there's this kind of, um, and you touched on it, like we use exercise as so often, if you are, you know, an athletic person who, you know, connects with moving through move through moving their body, like it's, we so often use that as like a disconnect too, right? Where you're like, okay, I can't, you know, I don't know what's, what's been in your experience or like, have you experienced that where you're like, okay, it's almost like compartmentalization, right? Like, okay, I can't deal with this thing. So I'm going to go super deep, which sounds like is what happened to you. I'm going to go super deep into to movement or exercise. But is that like, that's not, that's obviously not healthy either. Like you ended up in the ER. So I don't know what's been your experience with like finding that balance or like di- that disconnect piece. <laughs> yeah, I think we definitely have, and, and we've talked about it. Um, quite a bit, but I think sometimes we do, we absolutely, and I've done it so many times. I haven't done it. And so like, it's probably been two years since I've had this experience happen, but yeah, it's easy to disconnect from ourselves. I think there's, there's a lot of, um, false checkout is like that checkout space is so valuable. I think sometimes to relieve stress and yet I don't know that it actually serves us. I think we get false benefit from it. And for me, it's been hard to find that balance. When I used to push myself, I was, you know, a bodybuilder. I was ran marathons. I was very, very athletic. And then you have an injury happen. Um, And I'm sure you know the stats on like, there's a lot of athletes that have injuries happen because we have a tendency to push ourselves so hard. And I think it's important to check in versus check out when we are dealing with stress or we're, you know, maybe instead of doing, I shouldn't have been pushing myself that hard um, to like kind of check out a stress. I should have checked in and maybe done yoga or something instead of push myself. And I think it takes self-awareness. Like I found myself setting intentions, which I didn't do yesterday, um, setting intentions before my workout. Like why am I working out? I think it starts before we even get to the workout. Like why am I actually working out? And I think that, you know, it, you hear it in like people who smoke, they're like, I need a cigarette. Well, I'm the person who's like, I need to go work out. I need to go for a run. And I, it's like, why? I think I've had to stop myself to find the balance, like asking myself, why do I need this? Like, what do I want out of this? And then choose the the exercise or the, you know, the fitness level, the workout level that you're going to do and be self-aware enough to be like, maybe I shouldn't do that because it's going to encourage me to check out versus check in. And that's kind of how I think I found the balance. Yeah. <clears throat> I've talked about um like the like asking the question does it bring uh does it bring value to mm-hmm. like our day or our life you know and to your point like we can we we set these expectations and there's there's a whole another like dichotomy of like expectations versus intentions right like we we decide yeah. what what a workout like the place that workout holds for us and and the role that it's going to play and 
maybe the shift would be like, does it add, like, what does it bring to my life? Like, is it a positive touch point? And then what are my intentions for that workout? And that might cause us to like alter that, that, that session, right. That particular like bout, um, of exercise. But yeah, I wonder, you know, like, have you, so you're coming from that, like this deep athletic background, like success, you know, you had, I know you had a lot of, um, you know, success and push yourself really hard in the bodybuilding space. You said you ran marathons. Um, then you had this injury. Like what has that process looked like for you to continue to stay engaged with, um, with, with being an athlete or like consistent movement, right? Cause it has to look different now than it did when you were doing those things. Not that it's any less valuable, but what's that, how, how has that process like played out for you? So you can continue to be an athlete, even though it looks and maybe even feels different. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's been, it's been a hell of a journey over the last 10 years. Um, I think it's really hard when you don't have a bigger goal or you're not performing for a certain cause or reason. You know, before when I was a physique model, it was easy to know like how to actually set, like, you know what you need to do. You get to the gym and you're just clear. But when you're setting your goals and you're not an athlete anymore, I think it can be so damaging Um, because it's easy to give up on ourselves. It's like, what am I even doing this for? And when you're fighting through chronic pain, it's easy to just check out and be like, what's the point? Like, why do I even want this? And so for me, it's, it's like ebb and flowed. I think there's been seasons where I'm literally like, F it, I'm not even going to the gym. Um, And then there's seasons where I'm like, no, like, this is my why. And I think for me, it's finding that why greater than just performance. Like I wish when I was an athlete, I would have had a deeper why behind my movement, behind my health that would have grounded me even when I hit injury, even when I hit, you know, failure and maybe I didn't win what I was performing in, Um, you know, when you have terrible time and it was always a balancing act for me because when you're a bodybuilder and you love to run marathons, you're burning muscle. And so I would have to always be weighing it. And I wish I would have just stripped the performance away and built a relationship with both of those spaces and done it for the love of the the sport, the love of the movement versus what I was trying to achieve. Like the why has to be so grounded in who you are and what value it brings to you not just on performance. Otherwise, when we have a failure, I feel like we're just like slammed. And I've worked with a couple of um, athletic runners and like um, Olympic runners that were trying to get to the Olympics. And it was hard when you have a failure to stay on the road. Like it was hard to continue to keep going when you have a failure and you just flew to Europe and like prepped and planned and did all this stuff. And then now you're like, you're back at square one. You didn't make it into the Olympics. How do you keep going? And I think that has to be driven from a deeper why, at least for me. I'm like, why am I doing this? It's for my health. It's for my legacy. It's for my kids. It's so that when I'm 80 years old, I can still get up and run, right? Like, I don't want to be like my grandparents were, where they're like leaving this earth decrepit, and like falling apart right. either. Um, or driving from a place of fear. Cause that sucks too. Like that's not like, to drive from a place of anger or fear doesn't feel good. So I think that deeper right. why for me has what's kept me grounded. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you're, I mean, hallelujah. You know, <laughs> you definitely, uh, you're spot on. I That fear is, I mean, that's really interesting. And I, you know, I hadn't really maybe put a name to it, but I like that really touched on something. And I think like so many, so often athletes um, continue, you know, or show up out of, out of a fear for losing fitness, right? Like they're like, oh, if I don't, if, if I don't show up, like I'm going to, I'm going to be behind or I'm going to, you know, and, and that like specifically that fitness piece is such a moving target, right? That like we, like you said, like there, there has to be a deeper why than just the performance. Um, but yeah, I've never thought about the, like, it is like a fear. You're like, oh man, if I miss, you know, I've, and I'm sure you've experienced it as well as like it, like down to the day, right? Oh, if I miss today, I'm behind, right? Like if I, if I, one thing, if I don't do it, um, that's, that's going to derail me or I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be able to continue on this journey or whatever. Um, how did you, so what did it, so, so how'd you get away from some of that, like, you know, fear-based performance oriented to more, like, how did you get to your why? Cause that's a big bridge to build. Um, it is. what did that process feel like for you where you could finally find that like acceptance and a more deeply rooted, like joyful experience with movement. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I lost my eyesight um, when I was really, really sick, probably about seven or eight years ago. Um, I lost my eyesight for about two months. Um, And I remember after getting my eyesight back, I was so terrified, like literally traumatized to go to the gym and lift or do anything like that. And I remember, I remember my trainer um, looking at me and she was a physical therapist and just incredible background. And she said, you have a choice here to continue to let fear drive you either for what you're doing or to not do what you like, not get anywhere, or you have a choice to choose life. And I just remember thinking, huh, you're literally given like to find my why we have to look at both sides. We have to look at what is the fear. Cause I think it's a lot of times we just avoid fear. It's kind of a couple of my like favorite speakers. They're like, yeah, it's easy to not be afraid of flying if you never fly anymore, right? Like if you're not flying, you're not facing your fear. It's easy to not be afraid of it. And that's kind of what I was doing. I kept canceling sessions and I was just avoiding the fear. And I'm like, no, I'm not afraid. And when it came down to it, we have to first look at the fear. We have to look because the underbelly of our purpose or our why is the pain, is the fear. And so the fear is the pain. And so I can continue to work out in fear of going, getting back to the place I was. I could continue to push myself in small increments even now. And I find myself doing it for like, oh my gosh, I don't want to work, miss a workout because I don't want to get back to that place. Mm -hmm. Or I can look at it like, I want to go work out. I want exercise. I want mobility because I want this thing. I want life. I want, um, you know, vitality. And so I think it's a combination, Taylor, of like, combining your fear and like that place of pain that we've had the injury the you know maybe even our like our past legacy that's passed down of our grandparents or our parents like I look at my parents and my grandparents and 
I don't want to be where they are. So it's easy to do that. Or it's easy to go, actually, I'm going to build on the foundation because I can also look that they've really valued family um, and like learn how to do it with family. And that's really my why is like my family is my why because I want to be able to play with my grandkids one day. I want to be able to like have vitality to be able to do things and go to Disney World. We went to Disney World last January and I was like dead right? Like walking (laughs) 15 miles in one day. I was like, this is my why. Because my feet hurt. It was like hard to have joy in the midst of (laughs) Disney World because my feet were just like done. I'm like, I need to do more miles because I want to be able to like have joy in the midst of this experience. So I think finding the why is looking at the fear and then pairing it with what you truly want in life. And maybe it's further than just that win of that next race or that next performing you know, measurement that next uh, milestone. But it's like, what do you get through that? Is it like self satisfaction? Is it proof that like you are able to like push yourself and love yourself at the same time? So I think it it sources also from like a place of love for yourself, like loving yourself to health versus loving yourself to win. Or like, almost like abusing yourself to win. Because I think sometimes we also abuse ourselves through fitness and exercise. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I found myself abusing myself. Like I gained 10 pounds. I'm going to abuse myself until I lose it. Or I lost that race. I'm going to abuse myself to the next one. And like, I don't think we actually think that way, but that's what we're doing. Yeah. Or, you know, or maybe we do think that way. I mean, I think there is, there certainly can be this you know, kind of like boom and bust crash style approached when we have like driven by those, those feelings of like disappointment or fear or, um, you know, not meeting expectations that we place on ourselves where we say, yeah, like I, you know, and we're like, here we are like coming into the holidays, like what a classic example, right? Like you, you, you feel like you, you're, you're guilty for, you know, feeling like you don't have control over your diet or whatever. And, and then you just, you go in so deep in January that it's not sustainable, right? You blow your, you you beat yourself up, you get injured, you try to do too much too often. There's no balance there. Um, I I think, I mean, that's like my, I feel like, you know, primary role, like as in my role as a coach is that like help people pull back on the reins, be like, Hey, like, you know, one, identify those feelings and two, do we like pace yourself, right? Like, like let's, let's build a, a, a sustainable approach to longevity versus like a rush to fitness, right? Those are very different things. The end goal, like actually might be the same. It's just that the pace of that endeavor is different, right? It's like, I'm not trying to do it in 16 weeks. I'm trying to do it in over the course of my lifetime or multiple seasons or, or whatever that is. Um, yeah, I've certainly hid behind exercise as well. You mentioned that, like, does it, you know, do you beat yourself up? And then instead of facing that, you just show up. Cause you can like, you're like, it's almost like, like, well, I'm, I'm like, I'm safe in this space, right? Like if I just continue to push myself, like it's like blinders. Um, I don't know when you were, when you were like, I don't know, how did you find that balance? You know, cause I, I think that the inclination often, I see this like very specifically with individuals like yourself where you're like, 
you know, you've had multiple kind of identities in, in through the lens of athleticism, but you just replace like one for the other. Right. And it's almost like it happened to you yesterday. Like, in, you know, you went too hard, but you're like, okay, well, if I can't do that at this level, I'm just going to go 200% on this thing. And that's not the answer either. Um, have you yeah. had to, have you had to like, have you had to battle that to like find some balance or is that, or did it feel more sustainable once you were grounded in that? Why? I think it does sustain you once you're grounded in like a greater why than just, you know, winning something or losing 10 pounds. Cause I, you know, I'm sure you've seen it as, as a coach, it's easy to like get to the finish line, but then how do you hold the ground? I think is always my, my question. It's like, you can lose the 10 pounds or you can win the race or you can hit the time you want to, but like, how do you hold the ground? And I think that's where balance becomes challenging. It's like when we do that rush to finish line, it's hard to find like, that's not balanced. So then you just kind of drop off. Like I saw so many bodybuilders and physique models, they'd like get to it and then they'd like win the show. And then after they were like eating pizza and I never was able to do that. Like I was that obsessive about it that we'd be in Vegas and we, I would like win, not win, whatever it was. And then I like, I couldn't just go and have like my crazy, like cheat day. It like would almost, and I think it was half from an unhealthy place and half from a healthy place. Cause I'm like, I didn't just work my ass off to like go eat pizza and drink a bunch of stuff for the next three days and binge. Like I know how my body is going to feel after that. And I think that that's how I found my balance. Cause man, I almost hate that word balance. Like me and balance almost have like an unhealthy relationship. Like I hear that word balance and it's almost like compassion. I'm like, I kind of want to punch it in the face. I don't know if you feel like that, but like (laughs) as a challenger, I'm just like, I hate those words. They like almost trigger me. But I think that it's like, I look at it more less about like balance and more about flow. Like, or even I was a dancer as well. And so I think it was like more about like finding my rhythm and less about balance because I have such an unhealthy relationship because I feel like when I'm in trying to like balance things, I'm always like tipping over on one thing. And like, I'm like, okay, what's the rhythm that I want to like live to and mm. finding that rhythm, like the rhythm gives me choice in my head. And so sometimes I'm like, what's the rhythm? Like, what's the beat I just want to like go to at this stage in my life? at this part where I really can't be super athletic right now. Like, what what do I even look like as an athlete? What, what is that identity now? And I think that rhythm has given me like so much choice of like, I don't always want to like, cycle or I don't always want to run. Um, and in fact, running can be really dangerous for me just because of the high impact. Um, and, but yet I love that. And so sometimes I'm like, I want that release. But how can I get it in a more like freeing way where I'm not going to pay for it for three days? And so I think a lot of it is like asking myself, like, after I do this, whether it's indulging in pizza or it's, you know, running and pushing myself too hard, how am I going to feel? And if I don't feel better, if it doesn't improve and give my life value, long term for a couple of hours or the entire day, then I'm not going to do it. I'm going to actually look at it and ask myself what I really need to like, really be able to be in the rhythm of feeling good. 
And that like, even going back to like Disneyland and my why or Disney World and my why, I want to be able to feel good. I want to be able to live life to its fullest and be present in that moment. And if something's going to take me off of that, I'm like, I try to be intentional enough to ask myself the questions before I indulge in whatever it is so that I don't lose that balance. So I don't lose that rhythm. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of how I found that, that flow in my life and not like toppling over and losing that balance. Yeah. I love, (laughs) I I feel the same way about balance. I think, Um, although I probably, I'm certainly guilty of using that word, but I love, I love the idea of, of flow, you know, because like if you chase like balance, balance gives the illusion that everything is equally divided. Right. I think, and, and, and the, like the pendulum has to swing in different directions or there has to be like more pieces of the pie that are getting more of your time based on what, where you're at in your life and what you want to achieve and the areas you've ascribed value to. And that's going to be different each day and each week. And, um, yeah. (laughs) So like how, so what, um, Athlete or non-athlete, I you know, so many people beat themselves up over feeling like they're not balanced, uh, you know, and for those not watching the video, like I'm using air quotes. Um, and uh, so how, like, how, how do you, how, how do you approach that? Like, what's the flow look like for you? Because that's so disruptive for so many people, like they can't get past these expectations that they are, are or are not balanced. And then that turns into this like shame cycle, which, you know, negative feedback loops, so on and so forth. So like when you're in those moments, like how are you managing that balance and what's that look and feel like for you? Yeah, I think it's being present. Um, cause it's tough, right? Especially with that shame. And when I got sick, I didn't have my eyesight. And then I woke up and I was like a hundred pounds heavier than I was before I got sick. Like I literally didn't see my body for two months and then woke up because of all the steroids and stuff. And so I think it's, it's given me the opportunity to like understand how to love my body past its appearance um, and past its abilities physically. Like I had to sit with myself in a lot of ways. I didn't have like mobility in one of my legs, one of my arms for a long time. And so I had to sit with myself and be like, what value does my body actually bring? What value does my health actually bring if I don't have it? And Mm. that was a hard question to like, it's tough. Like if you physically can't do for your family, I couldn't go to the grocery store and stock my kitchen with good stuff. I I love to cook. And yet I couldn't do some of those things. And so I think part of it's just going back to that like, there was a moment where I was writing my kids um, letters on like all their important days, like their wedding and their graduation, because I didn't know if I was going to make it to those days. And there was a moment where I had to go, man, my health is is valuable, even if I don't have my mobility, even if I don't, if I'm not able to like get up and run with them, I would love to be just be present on those days. And so I think like in the midst of shame, in the midst of like, I can't do anything or I can't even get to the point that I like want to be to start the race. Like I'm so far from the like start line because that's how it felt. And I think sometimes in life that's how we feel. It's like 
I'm not even able to get to the, the start line. Like, screw the finish line. Where's the start line? Like, right. I'm far from that, right? And so I think sometimes that shame creeps up so heavily that we just give up. And we're like, what's the point? Like, what's the point at even continuing? And as someone who likes to achieve in high ways, we have to find something so much greater. And, and I think sometimes it's just being present with ourselves. It's just like going, I'm actually enough just in who I am and the presence I bring and what's going to give me that? Like, where do I want to be present today? Is it with myself in an exercise or in a workout? Is it with my family? Is it with my team? Where do I want to be present? And for me, that presence and like just being there sometimes is all we have to give. And if we can just start with that, I think we'll find balance or rhythm um, flow, whatever word you want to put to it in everything we do, because we're starting with just the simple act of being versus doing. So that's yeah. kind of like, that's pretty deep, but I think that's how I found it because self-love was tough at a hundred pounds plus over what I like remember, right? Like it, there was so much shame there that I had mm -hmm. to like start with like the bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah, we're so often not great, I think, you know, for a variety of ways. We're just like inundated, you know, these days with so it makes being present very hard. You know, I think if I think, you know, we, we talk to most people or a lot of people and they really struggle to have their mind on like the thing at hand, right? Whether that's work or family or these relationships. And so, yeah, like if you could be grounded in that in that place, like, I, I you know, I, re reminds me, like, I feel like I was in a similar place. Um, like you and I were talking one time and, and, and you were like, Hey, like, are you being present? Like, are you taking time for yourself? And I, I, and this is back to like, kind of like hiding behind exercise, or like using exercise as like a coping device or an out. I was like, Oh yeah. Like I got that down. Like I always prioritize exercise, you know? And, and you were like, well, <laughs> you know, is it, are you doing it for the right reasons? Right? Like, is it, is that what your body needs? Like if you're actually present and is that what you need? Like, is that helping you be the best version of yourself for the people in your lives, whether, you know, family team that I work with, so on. And that was always like, that was always really, uh, I mean, that was really eye opening. like for my entire life. I'm like, I got exercise. Like I'm good at that. You know, like that's a central point, but it has to come from the right place. Um, and there was, there was probably a pretty long period of time where like, it wasn't coming from the right place or I wasn't present enough to understand like what my body needed at any given time. So I just like, like we were talking about earlier, just show up and push through and like hell or high water, like be damned. Like I'm doing this workout. If it's written on the schedule, like that's what I'm doing. doesn't matter how I feel. And like, there was no, there was like, there was no grace there. Right. It was just like head down, do the work and like check that box and ever since I've tried to be more present, you're like, it's so much more fulfilling to do the thing that feels like it brings value versus the thing that is just, you know, written on the schedule or like part of my training plan or whatever it is. Um, so I don't know, that was always like that presence piece I feel like is, um, is really hard to get at, right? That's a tough thing for people to, to, uh, to, what, what do you, um, like how, 
how do you help people get there? You know, cause like, you know, again, I, that, that feels like a missing link. Like the more I've thought about it, I'm like, Oh, we can't really get at some of these other things until you just like have your head in the game. Right. And you can actually focus mm-hmm. like, so like, what's that look like? Like, how do you find it? Or like, how do you feel like others can like help get that presence, which then might ultimately provide that like flow that you're talking about. I think it's the power. I always say like the power of the question is the power of the answer. And how many times do we ask other people, especially as coaches, we ask people questions all day. Or if you're a business owner, you ask your team questions all day, right? Your mom, you ask people questions, your kids questions all day. But how often do we ask ourselves questions? Like, do we ever even stop to ask ourselves questions in the morning, at night? Like, you know, we ask our spouse how their day is, but do we ever stop to ask ourselves how our day is? And I think one of the most powerful practices that I've ever put into place was brain dumping. Um, And it's literally what it sounds like. I take a piece of paper, I have a journal by my bed. And at the end of the night, I write down everything that's on my mind. And in the morning, you always can tell in the morning, like what space you were in, because it's so amazing. Like you listen to yourself, you're like, wow, I was like a whiny victim last night. Like, where was I even at? And so Mm -hmm. I think it's like, just stopping to ask yourself questions before you go do anything. You know, I start, I've started every meeting, I start with what, like, what is your intention for this meeting? I ask my team that I ask all my clients that what's your intention? What do you want out of this meeting? And then but do we ever stop to ask ourselves that? So I think it's like, step one, I think is just asking yourself, how are you? Like, what do you want out of your day? What do you want out of this workout? What do you want out of this race? What do you want out of, you know, insert project, insert time, out of this time together, you know, we, we ask our kids every Sunday, what do you want out of our Sunday? And I think that that's been such a powerful practice, because it makes me ask myself that question, what do I want out of the one day that we literally have nothing to do? And sometimes it's just watching a movie, you know, they just want to be together. And we never stop to ask ourselves those questions. And I think it's easy to get busy and just get into like, the like, the pattern, it's not even the flow, but the pattern. And to ask yourself a question, it's a pattern interrupt for your brain to like, to really think differently about whatever you're doing. So I think that's step one, Taylor, because it is hard. It's hard to just be. It's also hard to find yourself valuable as being. We're human beings. We're not human doings. So Mm -hmm. how do we get back to the value of being? I think is the question. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder like it feels, you know, I don't know the, the, this process of like um, being present and like finding that flow. It feels like it's a concerted effort I've found. Like, and I'd be interested to get your, like, you know, I think so often and I talk to athletes, you know, we like, for instance, like, you know, athlete will, come to us or something. They have so much desire, right? They're like, I want it really bad, but then what, right? Like then how do we put that in motion? How do we not get lost in, in the inevitable, whatever happens between now and, and, and success, right? And this could be in the workplace or athletics or whatever. So like, how, what's your, 
you know, is that part of your process or like that we, like you said, like that maybe think of it because of the brain dump, like that's an active process, right? You're not just saying like, I'm going to process these feelings and emotions in my head and I'm going to try to move on with my day or go to sleep. You're like, I got to get these out. I'm going to write them down. There's a physical process. Um, like how, like how do we expand on that or what's that like active process look like for you? Cause I think that that feels like a step that's often missing, right? It's like, people are like, I want it. I'm focused. I drive. I have, but, but then, but then what, right? Then, then what do we, how do you, how are you going to get there? How do you set yourself up for success? So like, what's that? I don't know. I, what, what's for you is like the piece in the middle. I think it's understanding the belief, like a lot of the belief systems of like, again, why we do what we do. And then it's setting up like, I always say, like, I'm a big proponent of like, uh, reverse engineering, like we like we know we typically know the the finish line or what we're trying to accomplish. A lot of times we like we know the last step and we can kind of see that vision. Um, I found fa- I found like a lot of times, especially when we're drivers and we like to we like to like perform and accomplish things. We're achievers. We know that in step, but then how do you build a like a plan that you reverse engineer? So it's like here's the end in mind. We're building with the end in mind what's the first step? So what's the first step to actually getting to that? And then what it like, what are the next steps? And so I think a lot of times, if I understand your question, right, like a lot of times we'll kind of like have the first and the last step. But then that middle piece is like, it's kind of like gray. And I think what continues to help is like understanding the next step and continuing to build a plan. Like I think a lot of times we start with a plan, but we never evaluate or readdress the plan. Like we just kind of do the first step and then we're like, we're just going through the motions. But I think every single month and like in our process, um, in our coaching process, that's kind of what we do, which I do a very different practice of coaching um, with business owners and, and kind of in the professional sector. But a lot of times I think it's, we have to continue every single month, month over month to continue to build that plan and ask yourself the question to understand if we're even on the right track. Like, are we even in the right like sport? Are we even right. going towards the right goal? And what I've found a lot of times our goal changes. Like mm-hmm. if we're actually tracking and understand what we want in that middle gray area, our, our goal actually shifts. And our goal starts to turn like we think we want this thing. But once we're on that path and we're taking those steps, it's like, I think it's Tony Robbins that always says like, do you actually like the idea of a six pack is freaking awesome. Like that's an awesome idea. But do you actually want from start to finish to take the steps to get a six pack? Do you actually day after day after day want to do the steps that are going to get you to the six pack? And a lot of times the answer is no. A lot of times you're like, actually... I don't even want that. I actually want this instead. And so I think it's constantly adjusting. Does that answer your question? Yeah, for sure. And it it makes me think about, you said like, we set these goals at the onset and then those goals change so often. How do we, like those goals, uh, again, athletically or otherwise, we hold onto them really tightly. So how do we, how do we let go of them and allow them to like shift and mold? Cause I, that's where people I see specific to sport, like they get so disrupted. They're like, I was going to run, a, I want to run a marathon. And then 
maybe they don't want that thing anymore. It's not even about ability. They're like, I'm not into it, right? I'd rather do, I'd rather do X, I'd rather leverage this time to have other experiences. Um, so how do we let loose of those and allow them to change um, in your mm-hmm. experience? Oh, it's so hard. I'd say that's the hardest part. Like watching achievers, I'm sure you've experienced this. That That is like my biggest, oh, that's the hardest place as a coach. When you like see someone set a goal and you're like, ah, they don't actually want that goal. Like you see their why and then you see their goal and you're like, you actually don't care. So then you get halfway through and they're just like holding on to it because we don't want to be failures. And so right. I think any another thing that I like to do is like, I love to sit down with people and set um, and write out, actually have them write out what their definition of failure is. Mm-hmm. Like is def- is the definition of failure to you not finishing something? Because that used to be like, I would kill my, literally almost killed myself trying, right? I almost killed myself getting to the finish line because I was like, I am not going to give up. I am not a quitter. I'm not these things. But never do we start with like saying, this is what failure actually is in this. And so I think another powerful practice is like writing out your definition of what failure looks like for that goal. Is it just not finishing or is it finishing and actually hating it and resenting running because you pushed yourself and you injured yourself running and now you don't ever want to run again? That to me is failure. Learning to hate to run because you pushed yourself too far. It to me is failure. So I think understanding what your definition and fail, like what if, like if you failed and a lot of people are like, well, don't focus on that. That'll grow. And I'm like, no, it's already in you. We already fear failure. So you're just getting it on paper and, and bringing awareness to it. It's not going to just like create it just because you're putting it on paper. I promise. But I think it's starting with understanding what your like definition of failure in that is. And then actually going, what is success? Because sometimes a finish line isn't success. Who you become to the finish line to me is success. Mm-hmm. Like, who do you want to become? That's the next thing is like, who do you want to become getting to that goal? That's another question I love to ask my clients. Who do you want to become in the midst of achieving this? Because if you don't love who you're becoming to get to this goal, then it's not the right goal. Yeah. Do you think... I find that people, maybe, maybe you, you know, see this too, or I'd be interested to, to know if you, like people run away from, from the language around success and failure. Do you, do you find that like we, you know, you soften that blow, right? You're like, or, or maybe not like, so do you, do you find that that's the case? And then do you feel like, do you feel, it sounds like you feel like it's important to like lean into that language, like kind of call a spade a spade identify it and then understand what to do with it? Like what's that felt like, or what's that process like for you either personally or like with your, you know, when you're working with folks? Yeah, I think people do shy away from it. And I think it is important to get it out because it's, it's already in our heads. Like shame Mm -hmm. is already there. Fear of failure is already there. We almost, I think a lot of times we act like, and a lot, I, I would say almost all my clients struggle with this. Um, we act like if we put the failure on the paper or like if we write it down, if we bring awareness to it, that it's going to happen. And I'm like, you're thinking about it every single day anyways. Mm-hmm. You're literally shaming yourself when you don't go to that workout, when you don't go get up and do the stuff that you've said you were going to do. You're shaming yourself and you're like telling yourself you're going to be a failure. So why don't we just get it out in the open 
and let it be what it's going to be. So yeah, I like definitely challenge people to look at it. And I would say most people, they don't want to look at it. And they don't want to just be like, Oh, no, 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 like after, after this, like, I'm going to have other things. And I'm like, Okay, cool. What are those other things? Like, let's actually look at what success looks like. And why you want those things versus just like running towards whatever. And like not being clear on the goals or the waypoints and the things that we're running after. Let's get it clear and on paper so that when we get stopped, when we get frustrated, when we feel like we want to give up or when we get injured, we can come back to those things and reevaluate and take the temperature and understand what it's it means about us. I think the internal interpretation is sometimes the most powerful thing to look at as well. Like, what are we making that situation, that failure, that success mean about us on either side? Mm -hmm. I think that can be really, really transformational. Um, and it can make us set different goals. <clears throat> yeah, it's like you, so, so people worry that like, leaning into it is going to like call it into existence, right? When it already, yeah. it already exists and it already exists. And we've probably spent way more time than we realize or want to admit on, on it, like in our heads, like internally. Um, how does that, how does that link up to, or is there a connection there like between how we process success and failure and, and ultimately the goal setting around that to like our, to our core values? Cause I know you do a lot of work with, core values and I, what is, is there a link there between how we like can move through those things when we have those core values and when we're like clear and firm on them? Oh yeah. So many times Taylor, I've, I've set goals out of my core triggers because we have core track core triggers, but core values actually combat those triggers. Right. So we have these things in our life that like we, it's, it's our cycle to our limiting beliefs and the things that like really just don't serve us in life. And then on the other side, we have our core values that lead us into the visions and the things, our vision and like what matters most to us, our why in life. But how many times I've set a goal based off of my triggers? My first trigger is I feel stupid. And like, I, I hate more than anything feeling like I don't know what I'm doing. And so I will always, I remember my mentor saying this to me, she's like, you always just set a goal just out of your reach. So you get to be right that you're stupid and you can't do it. And I'm like, shit, you're right. Like that is so spot on because we love the drive. I love the challenge. I, I'm a challenger on the Enneagram. I love the challenge. But on the other side, my first core value is acceptance. And so it doesn't feel sometimes as gratifying to set a goal where you feel accepted, like you want that challenge. And so how do you set a goal and your in your place of values and what you value the most in a place of acceptance? And that's mm. a totally different goal. But yet that acceptance, if I'm taking that first step in a place of acceptance, instead of trying to prove that I'm not stupid, it's, it's going to show up differently. And it's going to reflect I was, um, have you seen a Shanghai, the new Disney movie? I did watch part of it uh, not too long ago with uh, a friend of ours, uh, toddler. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. It's such a good movie. It's like it, I think it's Adventures. Don't don't quote me on that. It could be yeah. another one, but it's like it's so good because it it really shows the difference between driving out of a place of that inner power versus proving something right or wrong. 
And I think that that's the difference. It, there is, there's so much to be said about how much we can accomplish if we're go- driving out of our core values versus our triggers, because our core triggers will eventually land us in disconnection where values will land us in our vision and what we really want most and what matters most. So yeah, they're like, they're so correlated. And I would say probably 50%, if not more, when we set a goal, it's out of our triggers because we're trying to prove something. Mm. And it's a, it's from a place of striving versus a place of like healthy growth. And I think there, it, the, the end result might be very similar, but it feels different on the journey. Do we do like, so with goal setting, how do we balance that? Like if we want our goal, you know, if we're, if we're, you know, driven individuals and we want to, and we're, we're motivated and driven by lofty goals, you know, from an athletic perspective or whatever, but we need to come at it with that acceptance. Like, how is that, how do we balance those goals? You know, like, do we, cause maybe we're setting too, like our goals are too aggressive, right? Like you said, like they're just out of reach, but if we back off of them, are they as engaging still? Like, are, so how do we like, it feels like there's a balance there or, or some sort of like awareness and presence, but even like at the onset of setting goals, how do we, how do we arrive at a goal that is, that is like healthy and productive and achievable, you know, but not too easy, not too hard. Um, Cause it feels like we can find ourselves in that position. Like if it's coming from a trigger or like we kind of, you know, self-sabotage a little bit or a lot. Um, is there, is there some nuance there for like the goal setting that we should be thinking about? Yeah, I think it goes back to the questions and just asking yourself good questions. Uh, One of my favorite questions is like, what's the benefit? And a lot of times we get a false benefit from setting a certain goal. So is there a real benefit to setting this goal? Or is there a false benefit to setting this goal? Because if it's the false benefit, it's it sounds a lot like it's going to keep me comfortable. It's going to like prove like I get to prove that I can do this. And so if we're setting a goal and like we're asking that question, like, what's the benefit I get from this? If I accomplish this, what's the benefit I get? And if it sounds really healthy and it's growth uh, based, if the foundation is growth and it's going to it's going to elevate you as an athlete or an individual from a really healthy place, you're going to see that. But if it's from a place of like keeping yourself comfortable or keeping yourself safe or being able to prove that you're worthy of it prove that you can do it, then it's probably set from a place of triggers instead of a place of what matters most to you and your values. It feels like there's some ego mixed in there too, right? Like we, some, a lot of times we have to like, I, I know for me personally, like you have to kind of get, get that, figure out how to like wrestle with that ego. So you're not setting goals from a place of like proving something. Um, like how do we, I don't is that I mean is that good or bad like you know is the ego should it be part of the story or part of the conversation or do we need to to get that out of the out of the way so that we can come from a place of that like aligns with our core values I don't know That's such such a good question I've wrestled with this and I've I've had more arguments over this especially the athletic conversation 
um, than anything else. Um, so many people, and I've had uh, quite a few professionals and psychologists say like, you can't drive if you don't have ego. And I like, I'm so ego driven. And that's been a lot of where I've gotten like slammed. Like my biggest failures in life have been straight from my ego. It just pops up. My pride and my ego get in my way and I fall hard because I make like, I take big risk. And so when I'm doing it out of a place of ego, man, do I get like slammed. And the best analogy that I have for this is it's like a baby walking. You never see this like baby walking and you're like, man, that baby's ego driven. No, like they (laughs) want something. They're excited to get like to take the next step. They're like, they're just eager. They're excited. But we never look at it like babies don't have egos. They haven't built that up yet, right? They just know right from wrong. They like, they keep themselves safe. They tell you what they need. They're pretty authentic in like all of their expression of their emotion. But one thing that babies don't really have until they start walking, they like will get a little like ego driven. They'll get a little prideful. They're like, I can do this. And they like take a bigger step. And they like get a little cocky and they fall on their face. And so I think uh, like how we actually utilize the ego within accomplishing things is it's a difference between am I going to be proud of myself and am I prideful? That's the Mm. difference, which there's there's such a difference in proud versus pride. And that's how I catch myself on my ego. I'm like, am I going to be proud of myself or am I trying to drive from a place of proving it? where I'm going to get prideful. Yeah. And that like for me is what, how I've caught myself because it looks very different. It's probably the same goal, potentially the same goal, but man, does it feel different. Right. Yeah. I mean, you see that happens so much with, you know, with athletes is like, there's so much, so much pressure from, you know, peers or from, you know, a, an industry that props up, you know, chasing, goals that don't necessarily provide value. And it, you know, these, like when people write out their race calendar, right. They're going to do this. You're like, you're like, what? Like, I mean, that's a great way. Like, is this going to make you proud or like you're doing this because like you want to prove somebody wrong or like the person that, you know, lives down the road from you is doing it and you want to make sure that you're better than them or like can show up. And, um, yeah, if we could, <laughs> we would have, and that, you know, it ties into like, that feels like such a, it gives you such a short runway too. Like you can't live in that space of like doing things for pride. I don't know. Maybe you can, but it, I mean, it just feels like it's like a downward spiral, right? Like you have to come from that more positive place or your runway is pretty short because you're just going to get burnt out or, or, or just hate it. Like you're going to end up, I don't know. It feels like, it feels like that's, that's where we should all be leading from. Um, I know you'd mentioned like, uh, you had done some work on like using your mindset mindset to change like how we interact with and achieve results. And it like that sparked, it sparked that because it feels like we're kind of in that space. We're like how we like where we're at and the place we're in and where we kind of lead from has so much to do with like how we achieve our goals and the, and what value that brings to our lives and the process. Um, I don't know. What's that mindset piece? Like, what have you, you know, where have you kind of landed or what's that research looked like in the like mindset linked to results? 
Yeah, it's interesting because I have um, on our team, we have we actually have a couple of personal trainers um, and different like, you know, Katie Witten. And so there's been some people that um, in this in, you know, the direct fitness space and in the space of achieving goals, like if whether we're talking about uh, professional or uh, fitness, I think it's directly comes from mindset. I think there's such a difference between that that pride and proving something um, and driving out of a place of, of like self abuse, like I was saying earlier, and self love, like, there's no research if we look, if we look back and, you know, and dance and my daughter was in cheerleading, there's so many coaches over the years, whether it's football or races, or like, you name it, it's there people coaches have been so hard on their athletes. And like they're they're very um, toxic, their words can be very toxic. I've pulled my daughter off of three different cheer teams, because like, you will not talk to my daughter like that. Um, and I think when we're using the words like worthless, like, ah, don't be worthless. Like, what? Mm. Like, you're, you're gonna amount to nothing. I've heard so many coaches say that. And I'm like, there's this thing that rises up, like I would call it conviction that rises up in me. Um, because my entire life, I was driven from that place. I was very competitive in dancing. I was competitive in school. I was competitive in basically everything I, I've done. And I think that there's a difference between competitive and collaborative. I think there's a, a difference between driven and convicted. And I think the mindset shift is when you're convicted, you're doing it from a place of love. You're doing it for the love of something. You're doing it for the love of the sports. You're doing it for the love of your body. You're doing it from a place of love. And like, I'm not a fluffy mindset person. Like that, like the fluff is hard for me. So the research behind it is incredible because we can actually do more. We can go farther because we're not going to injure ourselves and we're not going to get burnt out if we're driving from a place of awareness and love. And love promotes awareness. But when we're doing it out of a place of, pride and proving something or being competitive, I'm going to beat this person. It, we always will get burnt out or we'll get hurt. A hundred percent of the time, the research shows a hundred percent of the time, we'll either hit burnout at some point in time and we'll fall off. Or if we don't hit burnout, which is a type of injury, we will get injured. And it doesn't like, we will do it in the athletic space and we'll do it in really anytime you set goals. I, I've seen it over and over again. You just get burnt out because if you're not driving from a place of love, what else is there once you hit the goal? Right. And what further? Once you've accomplished what you're going after, if there's not a deeper why, then what? What's next? And mm -hmm. that's where I see athletes. You know, you see it all the time. And we, ha I'm a part of a research up in uh, North Colorado where they're taking uh, athletes in high school and they're teaching them the background of the, the sports industry. So, you know, the business aspects and these athletes, their, their, um, goals are getting reached faster because they're doing it with the, the understanding of the industry and they're doing it for the love of the game because they think it's, it's a impoverished area. They think it's going to get them their ticket out of poverty. And sadly, most of the time, these kids hit injury before they'll ever get out of poverty. And if they do get out of poverty, they don't have the mindset to be able to manage the money or the lifestyle. So they'll end up making really bad decisions. But if we teach them the, 
the basics of the business. And then we take, teach them and educate them far outside of that, teach them to love the sports industry, they'll go further, they'll push farther, but from a place of the love of the industry and the possibility and the vision that's there overall, not just based on their performance. So that's kind of like, I literally, I could geek out all day. It's so incredible to me how we can drive from a place of conviction and like love for something for ourselves way further than we can if we're just doing it to prove something or to like be competitive. I think the days of com competition in that mindset, like I, I hope are on the downslopes because I think it's going to save a lot of lives and, and really stop us from a lot of injury. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's so true. Like if we, like you said, if it's, if there's not some underlying love there, like once you what's left, right? Like when you, when you hit that goal, you, that benchmark, that PR, whatever, where do you go from there? Right. You have to have, and that comes back to that why, but even more probably like, you know, I don't know, more important or substantial is like, there has to be that driver, right? There has to be a love for the pursuit of that thing or your full potential. Um, I, that's, I always like make that categorization is like, you have, you know, can have like a goal I and mean, goals are benchmarks along the way, but it's like the pursuit of your full potential. That's the driver, right? Because if you lead with that on the other mm -hmm. side of that, of that benchmark of that goal, there's, there's, there's more potential, right? And that is if, when you're uncovering that it's a, it's a lifelong endeavor, right? We, we always have ways that we can maximize our potential. Even if our bodies and our abilities change, we can work to, to maximize that potential within, you know, through that lens. Um, Oh, I love that. Yeah. Lead, lead with, with love. That's killer. Um, well, that feels like a good place to sign off. That's, that's a great, like, you know, class. That feels like a movie ending spot, right? It's like the, the last, <laughs> uh, the last, uh, words or whatever before the credits roll. So yeah, thanks, Christine. This is, you're incredible. I appreciate it. Your insight is, uh, is, uh, is second none. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's super fun. I love this conversation. So 